Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright bullies from pulling the wall on us. Facing and taking on all the plates you pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinize them through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Uh, a fairly common topic on TechTurt is how often we find politicians who don't really understand core issues related to technology uh, and yet stepping in and assuming that they know how to best regulate everything having to do with technology, uh, often unleashing some fairly drastic uh, and often negative consequences uh, to the policies that they're pushing. This issue has certainly become much, much bigger in recent times as it seems that basically every politician now wants to regulate the internet uh, between the GDPR, the EU copyright directive, the US's ongoing search for some sort of privacy law, net neutrality, Australia's various internet regulations, and much, much, much more, which we cover on TechTurt pretty much every day, we are seeing many attempts to regulate the internet, and much of it uh, is being done fairly poorly. Uh, this is a really big issue, and it's made even worse by the fact that uh, despite all of this regulation, tech issues really barely show up at all uh, in discussions around elections and policies that politicians are supporting. And here's the thing, even if tech issues were important during election season, we have very little way of knowing whether any candidates for elected office will actually understand the deeper nuances and consequences related to regulating technology. There are a very, very small number of politicians who have any sort of track record on these issues, uh, and many more who just sort of seem to repeat uh, boring and trite platitudes regarding technology with little awareness of how little they actually know about it. Uh, someone who has been thinking about this a lot is Denise Howell, uh, who is a well-known tech and intellectual property lawyer uh, who for over a decade hosted the This Week in Law podcast on the Twit Network uh, and uh, who was also one of the very earliest uh, law bloggers out there. Uh, Denise, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike. It's great to be here. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for doing this. Um, so when we were talking about possible topics to, to discuss, this was this was one that, that you suggested, and it's certainly very timely for, for a whole variety of reasons. But what what sort of led you to thinking about, um, you know, sort of politicians and, and their views on regulating technology? Well, a few things did. Uh, as you mentioned, it's such an important issue in so many people's lives. And I think most voters realize that, mm -hmm. but I also think they're not very well equipped to ask the questions they need to ask and find the information that would be relevant in determining whether someone is in a good position to make tech policy. Yeah. I think you and I and anyone who listens to the Tech Dirt podcast are, are pretty far down the road of where we could start to know what questions to ask but your average voter, probably not so much. So I guess what really got me thinking about this is when it came out that Beto O'Rourke had been involved with Cult of the <laughs> Dead Cow. Yes. And uh, we're now in an era of people running for office who have some, perhaps a lot of background 
with the world of technology, whether it comes from their employment or their passions as a teenager or whatever. Um, people have grown up with technology now for some time, and maybe some of them are old enough to start to actually run for office. So, right. uh, you know, I... I think it would be nice, and I don't, you know, I don't really have anything in mind uh, for how to formalize this yet. But I think it would be nice if there were some reference that people could go to and say, "This person has a tech policy grade that's high, and might make good tech policy based <laughs> on their background, uh, based on what people who know about that field think about their background." Uh, and this other person, not so much. So that's right. kind of what I've been thinking about. Interesting, interesting. And and for folks who don't know, um, the Beto O'Rourke story, uh, Cult of the Dead Cow, again, in, in case people don't know, was sort of, uh, how do you describe, <laughs> how do you describe them? They're, they were sort of a preeminent hacker collective uh, in the sort of, you know, 90s timeframe um, that did a bunch of stuff that was fairly well known. And most of the people involved you know, they used uh, uh, pseudonyms and were not necessarily known. And he was apparently um, a, an early member and involved in this was not known until just recently where a book came out talking about that that aspect of his history. Um, and and my response was, you know, some people, you know, it's funny because some people took that story to be like, oh, like he's, uh, I, and I guess it probably depends on where you stand uh in terms of whether or not you like him as a politician or not. But, you know, some people are like, oh, he's like this crazy hacker. And that adds to a list of other semi-crazy things that he's done. <laughs> or there's the, oh, wait, he might actually understand technology, which was sort of my response to it. Um, because, you know, anyone who was sort of around in that crowd probably, uh, you know, got to experience some of the important early questions having to do with, with the Internet and, and free speech and, and related topics. But... Um, so that it's, it's interesting. I mean, there are people who sort of attempt to give like grades to politicians on different topics. Um, and so is that, is, is that what you're talking about? Is that your thought that it might help if there was like an organization or some sort of methodology that was used to sort of rate different politicians on their tech savviness? Yeah, that was my thought. And, and also that it would be neat if, you know, people could come together and sort of decide what are the right questions to ask yeah. and how to weight the answers to those questions uh, in coming up with some, you know, so sort of developing a rubric around this. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually, I guess, you could scale it, not just to the US, but you know, other countries with democracies who <laughs> care about these <laughs> issues and vote on their representatives, you know, it wouldn't have to be limited to um, presidential candidates. If you could, if you could teach an AI to do uh, <laughs> this kind of inquiry, you could scale it up to everybody running for office anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I mean part of the question I have, though, about it is like, you know, there is a lot of nuance involved in, in tech policy. Um, which is, you know, as we know, sort of, you know, the curse of people who live deep in the weeds on these things. Um, and so I'm almost wondering, like, you know, you can ask somebody, do you support net neutrality, for example, mm -hmm. right? And lots of people will say yes, but what they actually mean by that could be very, very different and, and could have a major impact. So, so 
is there a way to actually parse down to the level of nuance that is necessary to 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 make that an effective tool um i hope so <laughs> <laughs> uh, it it seems to me like you you at least could do better than sort of just the shots in the dark that people take sure. or not you know being informed at all like i have no idea what to make of Beto O'Rourke's involvement in Cult of right. the Dead Cow without, you know, no, you'd need to do a little research into the details and the length. And he kind of ran away from the yes. issue uh, when it became public. And I wound up spending some time, like you, I heard that and went, oh, he knows something about technology. What a nice, refreshing thing. Right. <laughs> and yet uh, I had several conversations with several friends about, you know, good white hat and black hat hackers and how the term hacker has gotten a bad name over the years. Right. And you need to perhaps take a step back and think about what it means to be a hacker and how that actually can be a good and healthy and productive thing. Um, so, you know, I think in, in some sort of system like this, uh, you would need to do that research and then decide, you know, overall, this is a positive thing. And on a scale of one to 10, it's maybe mm -hmm. a six, you know, or whatever. Right. And uh, then couple it up with all the rest of what you might know about a candidate. And I'm thinking the kinds of questions that you would ask would not only have to do with their work history. I mean, you could start out really obviously... I know what I do when I consider a candidate and, mm -hmm. and think about whether they're going to be good for tech policy in the long run. Of course, it's just a crapshoot. You don't know, you know, like a Supreme Court justice. You don't know what they're going to do when it comes right down to it and they have to make a decision. Mm -hmm. But you can make some educated guesses about what they might do. Um, so you definitely want to look at someone's background. Where have they worked? Right. Have they worked for a cable company? Have they worked for an advertising <laughs> agency? Have they worked for a telecommunications firm? Um, you know, and, and what was their role there? And were they involved in anything that touched tech policy? I think that would be a good question to ask. Um, mm -hmm. Now we've got people who, I mean, certainly I think you would be hard-pressed to find a politician who doesn't use social media in some way. Right. Um, and when they do, you have questions about their use of social media. Are they speaking in their authentic voice or do they have others who manage that account and sanitize it for them? Say what you want about President Trump. He speaks <laughs> in his authentic voice. Yes. <laughs> you are yeah. not guessing what's on his mind. Well, that is true. Yes. Um, which, which, you know, yeah. is, is part of his appeal, I think, to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. because so many politicians don't do that. So that, I, I, that, is, that is interesting. Right. So, I mean, you would want to weigh that against something like, okay, you know, that could be a net positive for our purposes. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you know, are they, are they fact-checking things? Are they sharing information that is solid and tested and valid and stands up to scrutiny? Are they harassing and bullying people online? You know, I mean, I guess there are all kinds of things you could look at from right. one's publicly available social media history that would enable you to come up with a score. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess sort of a related issue to that is, I mean, I, mean, I started this out by saying this is more and more important and it's becoming a, a bigger and bigger issue. But I also mentioned the fact that it's, it does not seem to be an issue that people vote on. Um, and so I guess my question is, would this even matter if we had such a tool? 
Well, my take on that is I think people would view it as an issue they voted on if they had a framework for making a good mm-hmm. decision about each candidate. I mean, they certainly, the candidates put out their platforms and maybe buried in there is something about net neutrality or technology policy or, you know, whether backdoors are a good idea. Um, I remember Hillary Clinton was speaking about that uh, yeah. in the last go round and uh, was sort of trying to have it both ways <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> on that particular point. Yep. Um, and, and so I think that people would care about these issues if they were more visible. I think, you know, mm-hmm. just anecdotally from my friends and family and colleagues who aren't necessarily involved in the technology industry, they all think things like privacy and data protection are important. Yeah. Uh, they think things like cybersecurity are important. They think uh, this whole election meddling problem that we're undergoing is terribly important, uh, but they don't really know how to turn that into something that sends a message at the ballot box. And I think right. they could use some help. Yeah, no, I, and, and, and I see that. But again, like, and I, I don't mean to be adversarial. I'm just trying to, mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, poke through and understand this, like, you know, something like privacy, right? There's a lot of controversy around that. Um, and, you know, in the EU, obviously, they had the GDPR, and, and we've spent a lot of time sort of highlighting many of the problems with the GDPR, which is not to say that the concept of the GDPR is, is a bad one. I, I have issues with the implementation and sort of uh, the wider impact of, of how it was implemented. But the same thing is true of, of the debate over privacy law in the U.S., right? So, like, California has this this um, <laughs> this the this privacy law which um you know i think has a lot of problems though i understand sort of the process by which we ended up with it <laughs> uh mm-hmm. and, and which was sort of you know uh, uh we had to rush otherwise we would have gotten something worse <laughs> which seems like a bad way to to legislate in general but but and then there's like this effort to create a federal privacy law to potentially preempt uh state attempts like California and there's this whole fight over whether or not that's appropriate and and you start to get deep into the weeds very very quickly and so it's one thing to say like privacy data privacy data protection is really important because it is and i think everyone sort of recognizes that but again you get to the 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 point where it's like you know it's one thing to say like i'm for better privacy and i'm for better data protection um and it's another thing altogether to then get into the weeds of like will this particular law actually help what are the other consequences that it will create? What are the other, you know, potential issues with it? Um, and and my fear, at least, is that you know, as you talked about with with Hillary Clinton and her her non-answers on encryption, or sort of trying to play both sides, that's the kind of thing that I think most politicians will try to do on any of these kinds of questions. So, I mean, every every politician for the most part is probably going to say, well, yeah, you know, privacy and data protection are important because they are, and everyone recognizes that. But that's very, very different from saying like, do you support this particular implementation or this kind of law? And actually getting down to those weeds is a lot more difficult, um, both in terms of actually, you know, knowing what, what it is to, to get at and actually getting politicians to commit, uh, you know, one way or the other on those things. I'm totally with you on everything you just said. <laughs> and I, I think that the politicians themselves are probably um, 
the least trustworthy source, <laughs> what comes out of their mouth or what comes out of their handlers' mouths about how exactly they feel on all these issues. But yeah. history is history and background is background. And those kinds of things can't be, you can't hit split hairs about them. You know, sure. people, people have done what they've done and experienced what they've experienced. So I think it's, you know, I, while I think it would be important to develop some kind of questionnaire that you could give to candidates on tech policy issues, that would factor in, but you'd have to look at other things. What I come back to is the hearings that we had about this time last year uh, where various uh, tech um, C-level people came to Washington <laughs> and went before Congress. Right. And the glaring thing that we all came away with was how ill-equipped the lawmakers were to ask the right questions. So regardless, your point is, do we know if they're going to make the right decision on privacy? No, probably not. We don't know whether they will. But what I want to see, what I would hope to see, is people who are equipped to ask the right questions at least right. and then be able to synthesize that and make better laws. Yeah, and, and so, you know, as an example of that, right, I mean, you could certainly have a, a question that is more along the lines of what do you see uh, as the trade-offs of various approaches to privacy online, right? Yes. Which <laughs> I think most politicians would not want to answer in, in any way, shape, or form and would probably try and answer a totally different question if you were to ask that. But I think, but I think to some extent that that, that kind of approach could – uh, make a lot more sense where, you know, recognizing that there are trade-offs to a lot of these different policy options uh, and, and understanding whether or not the politicians even recognize those, tra those trade-offs. Um, mm -hmm. To me, at least, that would be the biggest thing because I, I kind of feel like so much tech policy um, deals with politicians who won't, who refuse to admit that there are trade-offs to any decisions that they make. Right. Um, in, in part, this question, this issue was partly addressed by Steve Jobs the only time I ever saw him speak, uh -huh. which was at the first D All Things Digital conference. I think it was in 2003. And uh, it was with Walt Mo Mossberg and Kara Swisher, and they had him on stage at D. And one of the things they asked him was, what was your biggest challenge when you started Apple Computer? What was the hurdle that you knew you had to overcome? And he answered, well, people couldn't type, but we knew death would eventually take care of this. <laughs> and, right. Uh, it, so it's partially that issue that, that we have lawmakers in place now who simply just aren't conversant with the right. issues they need to be conversant with to make these kinds of decisions. But increasingly death is taking care of this. <laughs> we have younger and younger people. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, more familiar. Yeah. And, and I, to some extent, I, I agree. And I think, um, but I've, I've been, I've been yelled at before in sort of making that comparison to some extent, because, mm -hmm. you know, there are, it is true that there are exceptions uh, on both sides of that equation, right? Where, sure. where there are some older politicians who actually do seem to understand this stuff. I mean, I think, right. you know, Senator Wyden, for example, has been very, very good on tech policy and very, very understanding. Uh, and, and he's 
you know, he's not. I do not want to be ageist <laughs> about this. Right. And, and, and I love Ron Wyden. Yes. And there are some younger politicians who I would say are very, very bad on, <laughs> on this kind of stuff. And I'll refrain from naming names at this point. But, right. you know, uh, people who are younger than myself, uh, who I'm, I am kind of shocked when I hear them talk about the Internet and, and with clearly no actual knowledge. Um, and so, so, you know, I, I I just want to point that out. But I, I do get it that, that hopefully over time you would have a more um, knowledgeable and an engaged uh, political class, uh, you know, that, that that hopefully has a better understanding of these things where it's not just sort of like the nerds and the geeks um, who understand the, the deeper issues, but that it is, it is uh, you know, a, a much broader um, – swath of the of the public and and politicians as well now a, a related issue to this though is that um, and this is one that i've been trying to think about a lot lately and so um i may be dragging the conversation to, to my own areas of interest drag but, away <laughs> there there's um you know people love the internet um uh, for very good reason, I think, and, and they like what it's enabled and they use it all the time for a whole bunch of wonderful services. But they are increasingly, um, uh, they increasingly hate the companies that provide them <laughs> the internet that they that they love. Um, and and so there's, again, this sort of weird dichotomy. And, and I had written a post about this not too long ago um, in in talking about Facebook in particular, which seems to be, you know, the, the company that people really love to hate. Um, and in the, the post, I, I basically, I just asked the simple question of like, do we want to see a better Facebook or do we want to see a dead Facebook? Um, because it struck me that so many of the policy proposals that people were making regarding Facebook were specifically like, how do we punish Facebook? And, and that was it. Like that was the driving force is like, we must punish Facebook. Facebook is bad. Therefore it must be punished without any recognition of like, the consequences of that. Um, and I understand the desire and I understand the, the, the motives there and the incentives where you say like Facebook has been a bad actor. And I think a lot of people feel that Facebook has been a really bad actor. Um, and so you want to punish bad actions and therefore punishing is, is good. But I worry that, uh, you know, a, a few different things happen. One is that the punishment um, locks Facebook in as the only company that can handle whatever punishment is being meted out, whereas everyone else is just like pushed away and you sort of locked in this dominant platform that, that you're complaining about, even if you've punished them slightly, or that the punishment sort of flows through to the end users in terms of, you know, and this is some of my concern with like GDPR related stuff, that it is leading to a world that is actually hurting the users of these platforms, but not hurting the platforms themselves, even though it was sort of described as a way to 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 hurt the platforms mm -hmm. um and so i worry about um you know and 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 so what struck me when i wrote that post was how many people jumped in and were just like dead we want a dead facebook like i don't we don't care what wider implications are um and so when you're dealing with a a, a political world where sort of populist viewpoints across the spectrum um, get a lot of attention and seem to get a lot of play. Um, you know, I, I worry about anything that, that, that focuses more attention on tech policy where it encourages sort of the, the populist response of, uh, Facebook bad, Facebook must die. Uh, that is the policy selection that, that we will want if we're going to talk about tech policy. Mm -hmm. 
So that was a very roundabout and broad way to, you know, I, I almost worry about bringing more attention to tech policy because I worry about the way politicians will embrace it is, is, is the, the issue that I'm concerned about. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I don't think we can bury our heads <laughs> in the sand here. <laughs> I uh, yeah. don't think it's just by ignoring it, it will make them not feel that they need to do something because there's been so many critical issues yes. that have developed in the last few years. Yeah, and, and that's true. And so I, I think I think my own response to my own my own worry is that <laughs> you know that a tool like this potentially might might help avoid that sort of populist response, right? I mean, if you have mm -hmm. the right kinds of questions, that at least you know, like you know what I brought up before, like asking someone, you know, what are the trade offs to different approaches on privacy policy? Which again is a question no one is ever going to ask, uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think. Um, but like. That might at least alert some of the politicians like, oh, hey, there are some trade-offs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and maybe we should consider them. A valuable thing. <laughs> um, and so, so I almost wonder if this tool is more useful, uh, not as uh, educating the public, but more mm -hmm. useful in educating the politicians. Yeah, do, do... absolutely. And I, I think it does both. It would do both things. Um, it, uh, it certainly would alert you know or you remember back in the very early days of the web when everyone wanted that little uh, logo on their site from trusty yes yes <laughs> i think it would alert politicians that they need a housekeeping seal of approval right. on these issues and and make them think about how one gets that yeah so so uh, um, if we were to explore that, I mean, trusty, you know, which really did very little, mm -hmm. um, but but if if you were to do that in a way that was uh, actually, um, you know, respected, I, I'm sort of now I'm sort of digging into the actual logistics of 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 doing such a thing, where it's like, you know, like. I could probably come up with a list of questions. You could come up with a list of questions. We could come up with, you know, a few people who could who could set up these kinds of questions. Um, but would they would they be considered credible enough? You know, for, you know, would you need like an organization that you know there, there's like always the partisan question like would you need an organization that is nonpartisan or of some kind or would you need like yeah. would, there, would there have to be like a democratic organization that does this and a republican organization that does this or or god i hope not i think <laughs> i think of these issues as not really being very partisan yes. and i guess you have to put net neutrality in a box where maybe it doesn't fit so well uh right. in a nonpartisan world because it seems to have over the years unfolded into this partisan issue where hands off the internet, no regulation, free market, conservative on one side, and we must regulate, let's wade into the weeds um, on the other side, which tends to skew more democratic. Yeah. But mostly, I, 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 first of all, I feel like some of that is artificial. Yes. Um, and Secondly, if you throw net neutrality out and look at the other issues, <laughs> I feel like they don't really skew on yes. party lines. I think that's true. I think I think for the most part, there there may be a few exceptions, and and I've I've argued in the past that like yes, when any when any uh, tech policy issue gets partisan, it just gets stupid, and and you lose the ability to have reasoned debate and conversation about it, and that's very much true. In right. The, I guess the other one that comes room. to mind where people can get partisan on it 
is when we've talked about it on this episode, uh, the um, encryption and compromising. Yeah, but I don't know if that's really partisan, right? You definitely have people on both sides yeah. um, who, you know, strongly believe in encryption, and you certainly have people on both sides um, who don't. <laughs> right. But the, you know, go-go law enforcement side tends to skew more conservative. Yeah, that's probably true. But, but you know, there definitely are a lot of people on the conservative side who are who believe in encryption. So, yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, the other one that I think might be interesting are are questions around like antitrust um mm -hmm. which again um you know there are people on both sides who are making noises about antitrust as it relates to the big internet companies and and there are some on both sides who are against it but it does have the feel of um the kind of topic that could skew partisan very very quickly mm -hmm. um depending on who really starts promoting it right. <laughs> and for what reasons <laughs> um so, yeah, so there is that fear that it could, these issues could become partisan. Um, but so, so which is a good point, but, but let's take a step back to just the assuming, assuming as you, as you posited, which I think is accurate, that most of these issues are, are nonpartisan kinds of issues. Um, you know, does it, you know, is there, does it need like an organization with credibility behind it to, to make this kind of thing work or, or, or? Do you not know? I, I don't know. Uh, it's just something that, you know, came to me one morning yeah. out of the clear blue sky. <laughs> and, uh, no, it's, I, I mean, it's a really interesting idea and I really like it. But there's a part of me that's like, well, I could, I could come up with some questions. There's, there's a lot of hubris there thinking that I could do that. But like, right. you know, but like, I, I don't know if anyone would take me seriously, right? I mean, you could come up with a lot of questions mm -hmm. and, um, and hopefully people take you more seriously than they would take me. But like, again, no like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know how much, you know, how seriously it would, it would be on a wider scale. Yeah. Um, no, I, th I think it would help to have, you know, as you say, some sort of respected, nonpartisan, right. tech savvy organization um, that, that could decide this was a good idea um, and, and put it forward. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I mean, you know, there are always, everyone is always questioning any organization about, you know, who, who influences them, who funds them, all these kinds of things. So mm -hmm. there, there are a bunch of questions, but yeah, I mean, it would be interesting if you could right. find, find an organization that is sort of widely trusted, um, you know, and, and not seen as partisan or anything like that, that could right. actually. And, and one thing, I mean, you, you keep saying, you know, who should develop the questions? Of course, the questions are going to be biased. Right. And, and I just think that, you know, the more we learn about, AI, the more uh, we learn yeah. that what goes into making it work is the questions that are ultimately biased by the humans who created the AI. Yeah. And um, I just think if you, if you involve a whole lot more people looking at, you know, putting their priorities in that, that you would be able to eliminate some of the bias. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. And, and if, if the discussion is public and again, like, you know, I almost wonder if, if even like, well, I don't know. I mean, you started out by saying, you know, the, the answers should be sort of weighted. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I almost wonder if, if there's a, a version of this where the answers are not necessarily weighted, mm -hmm. um, uh, because but you leave it to people to figure it out. Right. Yeah. Um, I though, like that. 
I mean, you know, there are both pros and cons to that approach. Um, mm -hmm. But you avoid some of the, the bias accusations, I guess. You know, you, if you're just focused on asking the questions, not waiting the answers necessarily. Just putting uh, the information out there. Yeah, there yeah. would be a lot of value to that. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. Well, I think you've come up with a plan. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Yeah, but... I was going to say, now now go go and make it happen. <laughs> it's, I, I'm giving you an assignment. <laughs> um, In all my spare time. Yeah. 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 No, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, it definitely is something I'm noodling over and... It yeah. seems, it seems like, it seems like you could start out if you, you know, not having an AI trained on this fantasy group of questions and this rubric that we've been discussing, you could start out with a small universe of people. And we, yeah. we are coming up on an election season where these issues are going to be important and we have a small, well, small-ish universe of people yeah. who are going to be considered to be the next president. So that seems like a good training set. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. I, and I think um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that somebody listening to this is inspired by this as well and, uh, mm -hmm. um, and, and is in a position to maybe do something <laughs> about it. Yeah. I'm, and, if anybody wants to talk about this, I'm Denise at Howell.net. Yeah, love, yeah. love to chat. And and I am reachable in all the usual ways, um, and so uh, I would be happy to talk about this as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, and and hopefully, I mean, it, it would be interesting. I mean, I have seen, you know, again, there have been attempts at sort of scoring, um, you know, politicians on different issues, but I I, I haven't found them to be that good, frankly. Right. Um, up until now. Um, right, and there, you know, I mean, the chances of reaching a wide audience are probably low, but yeah. know, some audience is better than no audience. I know there's an organization out there called Tech President Yes, that pays attention to tech policy issues, but I haven't looked at them in a while, but I feel like they're more oriented toward the problem we were talking about before, educating our existing lawmakers how to ask the right questions. Yeah. Um, and, and, and which I, is a very important function as well. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, and I could be totally wrong, and this is the problem of, of you know, just recording stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. I think tech president has really shifted their focus. I think it's no longer even called tech president. I think they became civic hall. Okay. Um, and they, they focused a lot more on sort of like civic tech related stuff, um, which is a little bit different. You know, yeah. it's, it's, there's overlap and it's related, but it's, it's definitely uh, a slightly different class of It's hard to keep up things. on everything, Mike. Oh, the last time I, I did a podcast, <laughs> I was chatting away for an hour with someone who had switched jobs five years previously, and I was unaware. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. It, yes. Uh, it happens, and uh, time flies, and in, in the tech world, uh, yeah. so much changes so quickly. Yes. Um, but anyways, um, this is it's a really interesting thing to think about. It's a really interesting proposal and it's something that you know I've talked about as, as being important in general and, and I, I really liked um, the way that you were thinking about it and it was a, a good suggestion for a discussion and, and hopefully uh, between the two of us we've inspired somebody listening to this to take it seriously and then actually run with it where neither you nor I are able to <laughs> yeah that would be wonderful um, though again yeah happy to, to provide feedback on anyone who wants to actually make this a, a reality yes um, but uh, anyways Denise um, 
this was a really interesting conversation. Thank you very much for Thank for you so much for inviting us. me on your show. Sure. This was great. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening as well. And we'll be back next Ooh, week. Can I put in one quick oh, pl- plug before we go? You absolutely can. Thank you so much. Uh, I am rotating in as host of Triangulation at the Twit Network, ah. which are our long-form interview uh, programs with luminaries in the technology field. So um, that's a great show to subscribe to if you're not yes. already doing so. Yes. Uh, and I have a newsletter I've been doing the last few months that is called Inbox 5K. Oh. So if you go to denisehowell.info, you'll see the newsletter tab there, and that's where you can subscribe. And, and I do. And what is the uh, newsletter? It does. Uh, it's mostly about sort of tech policy related issues, but I throw in a bunch of stuff about sustainability, what I'm watching, and recommendations, and all kinds of stuff, whatever's on my mind. Excellent. Well, all right. That sounds good. Everyone go subscribe. Thank you so much. (laughs) Excellent. So again, thank you, and uh, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. All right. Take care, Mike. Bye.